Sushi Roll, After Party and Pixel Game Maker MV. This is Staying In. Lads, lads, I'm mm. in a dilemma. Oh. I'm in a dilemma. Anything we can help with? Sam, I've, if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. It's a safe space. Please. Okay, good. Tell all. So, um... Moag! <laughs> no! No! Uh, I mean, she's incredible, because we were on the couch, and we were watching um, The Apprentice, um, which, if you watch it live, it's a pretty late show. I mean, that show runs from 9 till 10, so we're, we're pushing the boundaries of bedtime already. Mm. Post-watershed. And halfway through, she's like, oh, oh, I promised someone I'd make a cake. Hang on. <laughs> And she got up, and then like ten minutes later, she just came back, just like, all right, sat back down, just like, okay, she made a cake. Wow. So I came back from work this evening, oh, no. and she's out, she's out tonight, and I can't find the cake, but what I can find is a half empty or half full, depending on your proclivities. A pack of white chocolate fingers. Now, I have texted my wife and said, verbatim, I said, can I eat the rest of those fingers? (laughs) To which she's not replied. So. No. Yeah, that's a no. no. That's a no, mate. Yeah. No, that's that's, no that's a hard no. You are yeah, asking for trouble. But there is no, there's no cake. There's no. no but cake. Sam, Sam, you said ten minutes. That could be the cake, and she's just stretching the definition of cake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a cake, but in really small morsels. See, see, the the key thing for me here isn't the fact that you want to have a chocolate finger. Mm. You are seeing a half-empty or half-full pack of chocolate fingers, and your instinct isn't, oh, I'd like one of those. It's, I want to eat all of those. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the problem. Because if you want one, that's fine. Go at it. But if you want to polish that off, that's someone else's food, potentially. Those fingers aren't yours, sir. So you can't, without without permission, you absolutely can't do that. I'm just more worried that I'll eat them all, and then Lisa pulls out the cake, which I can't find. And it's only half decorated with white chocolate fingers. Yeah, there's like perfect recesses she's carved into the cake that are just waiting yeah. for the fingers to slot into them. And I'm there like... Because <laughs> <laughs> that's the annoying thing about chocolate fingers. You can't fake it. You can't like make your own and just surreptitiously swap them in mm. for the absent ones. <laughs> I, could, I could just slide out one. No. and But because I've sent the text... Sure, no. That's it. That's watertight. We all know that's watertight. It's like sociologist Becker's broken window theory, isn't it? Once a packet of biscuits yeah. is open, it's got to be eaten. More eating will be done. I think what makes this situation worse is that only last night I ate a whole pack of fingers to myself. Sam! <laughs> okay, okay, this is spiralling into other issues here. Sam, are you okay at home? How many fingers? <laughs> oh, is everything all right? <laughs> You just can't stop. They just okay, okay. For completely different reasons now. I just think yeah. you shouldn't eat the fingers. Just leave them, Sam. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. This is a habit. I mean, she's probably left them there as a warning. 
Or is it a test? <laughs> Do we need an intervention? Yeah. No, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm that's fine. what they all say. Just how many chocolate hands worth of fingers has he eaten in the last 24 hours? <laughs> yeah. uh, I think I've eaten... What was the name of that What was the name of that guy in Mortal Kombat with all the arms? Mortaro. Are you sure? What's his name? Gorgon or something like that? Uh, there was Mortaro... No, you're thinking of the main boss. Guy... Lots of hands. Mortal. Combat. Goro. No, not Goro. There's one called Motaro. I think he's the one. Yeah, but I wasn't thinking of Motaro. Who's Mo- I was thinking of Who's Goro. Who's Motaro? <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. Motaro. Yeah. Oh, no, he's not. That's not what I'm thinking about. No, he's a he's a bloody centaur. Yeah, he's a centaur, isn't he? He's a sub-boss. I can't... We've, we've, we, we, the, t- the day has come where Pete has just been schooled on Mortal Kombat. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I'm so sorry. There's only 24 fingers in a pack of chocolate fingers. That's four Goros. Well, no, it's one Goro and a bit of a... What's his name? <laughs> You like you like that um, um, mouse that got into my brother's flat and got into a big, massive multi-pack of crisps. He tunnelled into the big bag and then tunnelled into each individual bag, and they found it collapsed in the corner, just breathing heavily. <laughs> did, I, did I ever tell you about the uh, the uh, vagrant who who I found eating crisps in my kitchen at university? No, really? Uh, yeah. Jeez. Um, we were, <laughs> we were. Uh, there's a really good. There's a really good ending to the story. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> which but, implies there's a there's rough terrain ahead, but you've got to stick with it. Well, yeah, it's it's not the nicest thing to walk into the kitchen in your dressing gown, turn on the light, and then from behind the breakfast bar area, for a man to stand up, holding a packet of my discos. In his hands, eating them, a bit like Chris's brother's startled mouse, look around the room and then jump out of the window. What floor were you on, Sam? Ground floor. Okay. What what kind of discos were they? Luckily, he went for the cheese and onion, so... Oh, you uh, can't be too mad then. He can come more often, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. You've just got hundreds of these lying around. (laughs) It's like the equivalent of someone eating the coffee-flavoured chocolates from your milk tray. Yeah. Yeah, just have at them. Just carry on. It's a service. (laughs) Chris. Peter. What did you think of my game? Uh... Wow, I mean, gosh, you you put me on the spot here, Pete. I mean, hang on, hang on. I tell you what, if Chris and Sam say what they think about the game, okay, I will then try and guess what the game is from their reactions because I have not been able to play it. Okay, so I have to then try and guess, and let's see how close I can get. Okay. So, I mean, obviously, this is the week that uh, that the new Kojima game came out. So, uh, yeah, yeah, stiff competition. Com- yeah, but I thought. I thought, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I would say my first adjective I would levy at this game, Peter, would be sweeping. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, sweeping. Sam, do you want to chip in? Uh, 
I mean, no tutorial, uh, no uh, control layout. Yeah. yeah. Very Kojima-esque. Yeah. yeah very Kojima-esque. Uh, very little direction, but it was... A game. It was a game. Yeah. I honestly think, Pete, you actually, you judge, you know how some games, they're a little bit too long and they act stay there welcome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Leave them yeah, away. You, you, you time that perfectly. I Absolutely. Think. At, a, at a good price point for that as well. Yeah. yeah. Very good point. Yeah. The ratio was perfect. So I'm going to guess, okay. Go the on. only thing I know about this game is it was very small. Yes. Okay. So, it's, so I'm not imagining some big kind of epic game here what i'm imagining mm -hmm. is you moving a small sprite mm. from one side of the screen mm -hmm. perhaps over some obstacles <laughs> to the other side of the screen there's a bit more to it than that only a little bit more <laughs> only a little bit really uh, to be fair i completed the game without even moving the sprite so did you yeah maybe dan maybe it's actually a little less than that um mm -hmm. dan i made I followed the tutorial in a game uh, in a program that uh, uh, came out of early access recently called Pixel Game Maker MV. Okay, uh, I'm aware of this game. Okay, well, so this I'm aware of this tool. Or tool. Game? So it is. Um, I mean, it's a it's a software development tool. It's like Unity or Unreal Engine or um, closer, however, to something like Game Maker or Adventure Game Studio or. Uh, RPG Maker, which I think lots of people have heard of, because like that that's kind of a yeah. classic series. Um, and basically, yeah, I followed the tutorial. It's a it's basically a Mega Man esque two D platformer um, that uh, you make over the course of about any guesses. Are you are you talking time wise? How long time wise? I'm gonna say two weeks. <laughs> two weeks. Uh, it's about S four hours. Three or four hours, yeah, yeah. So, All right. so, so could have been spread over two weeks. Yeah, it could have. In fact, it was. Um, and uh, <laughs> and so uh, those two or three hours, they walk you through. This tutorial walks you through very, very, uh, very well, actually. I think with a little cursor that follows wet, like points to where you need to go to next to click on a certain things, and it explains to you what you're doing to make this little action game. So I could have, if I wanted to, after I'd finished the tutorial, I could have extended the level much, much further out, like I knew how to do that, and made the camera, f make sure it was following the character. I could have added different enemies, I could have added different blocks and little patterns and so on. I could have added different, I could have changed out the sprites, um, I could have changed the text for the game over screen or the congratulations screen or whatever it was to say whatever I wanted. Um, I could have changed the sound, like had sound effects, for example, uh, or added in a couple more than just the, you know, the attack and the explosion sound. Um, I could have done lots of different things and, uh, and even program the AI as well to do something different. So the, um, the AI for the little enemy robot at the moment, it, it sees you and it comes after you and then shoots at you and then comes after you again. Like it moves, stops, shoots, comes back after you again. But I could have changed those things and I knew how to do that sort of stuff and figure it all out. Um, and, um, do you know, that honestly was one of the most satisfying three or four hours of sitting in front of my computer in months, really. Years, in fact, I would say. Like in terms of like mm. creativity, like really, really fun to just 
sit down and be taught how to use a, a fairly powerful bit of software development to make games with. Like, and there's a there's a, another tutorial that I could do that has got a top down thing, a t- top down tutorial. So I could make a, you know, I think the example they give is like a shooter or something like that. Maybe like a, a, a you know, that kind of thing. I haven't, I haven't dabbled with that. Yeah, that sort of thing. But I could very easily make that kind of thing. I could very easily make anything really. It's got its own physics system. Um, uh, as long as it was 2D, like, yeah, I could pretty much put anything together. And I can use 3D assets as well. It, was ju- it would just always be, I think, always would be a 2D game. Uh, Pete, because um, I've done some of the training on Unity and how to use that, and I quite mm. like the way in which that you're taught that. Basically, you create, like, you each tutorial is a, a kind of a template of the game. You go in there yeah. and some of the elements are already there and it tells yeah. you what to press and then you can kind of commit that to memory. Is that the same for this? Yeah, it's that kind of thing. Um, so this one is yeah it's very very similar and the whole thing is built around um so i don't think this is in unity i know it is in unreal engine 4 uh but uh you in ue4 you have these things called blueprints which you have um essentially little boxes and those boxes have little strings and they'll attach to other boxes and you're essentially saying like this is the logic that this thing should follow so kind of yeah top level view on what that is but like um and Pixel Game Maker MV has this. And it is really quite straightforward. Like you have these little boxes of stuff where you're essentially setting the logic of what should happen. Like, do you remember back in the day, like in schools, you'd have lo- those little robots that could like, you could program in the robots and they would go across the, the playground. Yeah, melt the turtle. And they would like, go forward this then turn this then do these things so that kind of logic you know it's obviously way more advanced than that but it reminded me of oh yeah like this is just that logical process of okay if you see me then do this um uh and um thinking about some of the things you don't you wouldn't think to include so for example like every object can be affected by physics um, uh, by by gravity, right? And each uh, object can have um, can essentially have like a barrier that think it can run up against things, or things can run up against it. And like these are all like simple little settings and stuff. But if you want to go deeper than that, there is like a ton of stuff underneath the hood, as far as I understand. But the tutorials don't really go into that. Um, but yeah, and and the 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 thing it doesn't have that Unity has is a massive massive community of people making youtube videos and i think that's uh, so right. so rpg maker which is as i say is from the this same same lot um that does have that kind of thing um because it has built up that audience over time and pixel game maker mv like i don't i don't see that not happening but it, it as uh, i didn't you know i didn't need it uh, to actually make this thing and i think that was the that was the other thing like i've actually been like I I know I've talked this year a lot about like being inspired and stuff and being creative and finding it difficult to do those things. And there's something quite I don't know if you find this, but like there's something quite creative or inspiring about having like a coloring book where like you have the coloring book and somebody's like giving you a couple of pens and the outline is right there in front of you and you're you start filling in the colors. And actually, all of a sudden, just by just by actually engaging with the thing, you start to like think creatively. You start to think, well, okay, I'll make this. 
I'll make this sky red rather than blue. Oh, that's that's mm. interesting. Um, and then, yeah, it makes you want to draw more, for example. And I think that's the same here. Yeah, that's an interesting analogy because I was going to ask about um, in terms of like using this as as a way to design a game. Like yeah. the thing, like I've always been interested in doing it, but I've never like use a piece of software like this because I thought I wouldn't feel I wouldn't get that creative right. feedback from right. it unless I'm you know actually jacked into the matrix as it were and just looking at lines of text and then pressing a button and then seeing it all run like I would feel like I'm some way cheating myself by just ticking boxes right okay so I have had this I've had this feeling as well and I was kind of talking with some people at work because obviously I you know work in a, a place where we make these things and we don't use this this software but the thing I've the thing I've realized making games for the longest time with other, with people who are much smarter than I am is that it's not cheating. Like, the people who sort of, like, claim that, like, unless you're writing out code and making your own engines and, like, unless you're, you know, doing all of this, like, fancy under-the-hood stuff all by yourself. Oh, oh, you made a game in Blueprints, did you? Uh, Like, it's like, it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, the thing that, like, the end user of the thing, whether I wrote every single line of code there and, like, when you played it, if I'd have written every single line of code or if I'd hooked it all up using these these you know these little blueprint things at the end of the day it's the same result for you as a player right like and so like for me actually that is where the creativity is and the these kinds of software and, and like they they actually let me be creative with video games like they actually like let you do these kinds of things and um actually the creative process is it's not as immediate as as i am like generally am used to like um you know record a piece of audio edit it and then you can hear it like you can very quickly you know get up to speed with or write write an article figure it out put it out like yeah like you you get your feedback really quickly but the actual payoff of clicking that play button. You can click preview at any time, right? Where you can basically just see what your project, where your project actually is. And uh, the first time you're able to move a character that you've put into the scene by yourself, it is like, this is this is magic. Like, and, and it, it is incremental and it is little victories, but like as you're doing these things, the first time you put an enemy in, you're like, wow, that's amazing. The first time it comes after you, like, this is, how did I do this? This is great. Um, and then, yeah, by what at the end of it, when you've spent three or four hours doing this tutorial and you, you've got the thing, there is that real sense of accomplishment and that thing of like, I'm going to send it to my pals. I think it's a, it's about removing those kind of hurdles that... If you right. if you're not if you're not someone who has trained or has an innate ability in a certain field, right? Um, it's removing those hurdles so you can still express your creativity. I we I've spoken to you guys in the past that I would love to draw more and kind of create things visually and stuff like that, and I've always kind of struggled with that. Um, but I've kind of I've got a piece of kit recently which enabled me to kind of uh, draw electronically and use my iPad to draw on there and stuff like that, and. Part of the good thing I've found with it is there are certain features that help me in terms of I can draw a line and then I can do something and it, and it smooths mm. that line out for me so it's not as 
because my control isn't as good as someone who's a professional artist would be. Right. And right. I've gone through, as Sam said, I've gone through that same thing of, well, is this is this cheating? Is it? Am I am I am I not really doing this? Is so? Am I right. kind of? Am I a fraud kind of thing in creating this stuff? Am I actually creating it, or would someone who's actually does this professionally look at it and say, "Well, no, that's that's the computer doing but, that, not you." But this is this is the thing, right? Like, the end thing for the for the person who consumes it is is the thing that matters. And did you have fun doing it? Like, that's also like the other part of it, right? Like, did you feel creatively fulfilled in doing it? And if the answer is yes, then I kind of feel like it doesn't really matter. Hello, hello! It's the question man. He's he's come here. He's visiting me this time. I thought I heard something land on your doormat, Sam. Just n- nipping at your heels. Sorry, I just have to go and speak to the question man. Okay, off you go. You can you can fill. All right, he's off to go and see hello. a person who. I mean, this is this isn't actually I, I mean, happening. Of I mean, course. I mean, let's let's let's. Like, break down this fourth wall. We have no idea what he's doing. No, no. I mean, breakdown is the right word. Yeah. yeah. Right? Oh, oh, look, he's he's back from speaking to the question, man. He thinks he's doing a funny bit, but really, it's just not working at all. I've got a question. When is he, when is he seeking help for this? I've got the question, everyone. All right, yeah, go on. Oh, oh cool. I'm so glad you're back. We were worried. Question man has given me the... Um, Oh, there it is. Look. Question. Yep. Very well written. So lucky he caught you just in time. Uh, this one is from Doctor. Oh, bit of competition, Chris. <laughs> I mean, they may take it away from me. Who knows? <laughs> they only let one person be a doctor at a time. It's a high under situation. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. You, you've had your time. It's time to go. Yeah. Um, so this is from Doctor Kenneth. A Barnes, mm. also known as at Super KMX. Hello, hello, Doctor Kenneth. Mm. Uh, which fictional duck is the best duck? <laughs> okay, uh, ask wow. Doctor Barnes. Oh, um, A. Yep. Ed the Duck. I don't know who Ed the Duck is. Ed the Duck was. Uh, I used to have actually a uh, a um, crush. A. <laughs> I used to have a, a facsimile of Ed the Duck as a child. I believe he spent most of his time on the arm of Philip Schofield. No, that was Gordon what? the Gopher. Uh, I believe Ed the Duck may have been on the arm of Andy Peters. Oh, that's the one. Uh, and Andy Crane. Don't know why I know that. Okay, so this is a British puppet that was on children's television. This was CBBC. Uh, Philip Schofield had uh, Gordon the Gopher. Right, okay. Uh, right, okay, we're getting hilariously off topic. Uh, so, yeah, which fictional duck is the best duck? A, Ed the Duck. Mm. B, Donald Duck. Mm-hmm. C, Scrooge Muck Duck. Or D, Howard the Duck. Okay. Right. Pete, first thoughts. Mm. Well, um, I think Ed the Duck is out uh, as as best. Uh, simply because I don't think he's got the, the staying power. Certainly isn't really uh, all too relevant these days. Howard the Duck, certainly more relevant, but I would say a bit of a joke generally. Um, not really seen as like a serious duck. Um, I think it's really down to Donald Duck and Scrooge McDuck. And uh, in reality, 
if we're being honest, uh, the best duck is Scrooge McDuck. Because, first of all, moneyed. Very well moneyed. And clearly a self-made okay. man as well. Like, it's it's obvious that he's he's not... It's not like he's inherited it. He's gone out, done adventures, earned a load of money, robbed some treasures off of some foreign folks and brought them back to his big um, money vat, his big safe. Um, and uh, Andy has a top hat, which basically is... I mean, they're the things that I would want out of any duck. That's the clincher. Yeah. Um, so we have to we have to choose from that list. Okay, right. Uh, for me, it's the exact same. I'm torn between those two, but for me, it's uh, Donald Duck, hmm. just because I remember a VHS tape I had of just Donald Duck cartoons as a child, and I remember there's one episode where he gets a flat tire and just tries and tries to change this tire, and it just never goes the way he wants to go, and I just love how constantly angry Donald Duck is and he's, he's yeah. always on the verge of bursting a blood vessel and it's just hilarious because the more cross he gets the more ridiculous he sounds and also like all classic Disney cartoon ducks he is dressed entirely from the waist up <laughs> to highlight the nudity of the lower half below the equator yeah. Yeah. has to be Donald Duck out of that list I mean, I'm I'm surprised not to see uh, Daffy Duck. I felt he's he's a leading contender in the fictional duck race. Um, but if I've got to choose from those four, I mean, I'm tempted to go Scrooge. Yeah, so it's the popular choice. I just I, I'm tempted to go Scrooge. I just think Donald Duck. Yeah, he's the, he's the obvious choice. Um, and whilst I do want to stick with the Disney, so I think I'm going to have to go with Old Scroogey McDuck. Yeah. Also, DuckTales has a great theme tune, so mm-hmm. that sells it for me. I'm going to go Ed the Duck because if I know if I know one thing is that Young Me was on point, and if Young Me had a his own version of Ed the Duck as a kid, that I I must have been onto something right. And also, come on, guys, Scrooge McDuck is like the the figurehead for the capitalist agenda, like. <laughs> Come on. But without Scrooge McDuck, you don't have the fantasy idea of a pool full of money. Exactly. It's a disgusting idea. No, it's a beautiful idea. Everyone dreams about having a pool of money they can dive into. Diving I, into well, a huge vault of just dollar coins. Oh, no. Um, you can get dollar coins? Let's not get into the physics of it. Let's just focus on the joy he experiences. Yeah, I mean, you're right, Dan. After all, it is a duck that talks with a Scottish accent. Yeah. Let's not dig too deep. Right. I mean, like, for me, and this is a deep cut, I would like to have seen the duck from Rosie and Jim. Oh! True. That is a deep cut. That nice. is That's a tough one. Um, so, the, so the consensus then is Scrooge McDuck then, from the pod's view. Scrooge. It's Scrooge. Everyone thinks it's Scrooge. Anybody who doesn't think it's Scrooge is kidding themselves. There is a... Uh, what is this? Is this a comic? Yeah, 12 comic book stories featuring the life and times of Scrooge McDuck. So I can literally give you his whole... <laughs> History. Ebenezer Scrooge, year one. Scrooge was born in Glasgow to Fergus McDuck and Downey O'Drake. He has two younger sisters, namely Matilda McDuck and Hortense McDuck. He was born out of wedlock. Yeah. He goes into business at the age of 10 mm. uh, with a shoe shine kit that Fergus built for him. Mm. His mother dies at the age of 30. Jeez. So that when you're watching him on DuckTales and they're all having a great time, is actually this quite deeply tragic figure 
Yeah, it's like, like a Dickensian life. Yeah. Scrooge McDuck died at the age of 100 after a life of adventure. What? He's not dead, is he? He died in the year 1967. At 75, he gets depression and tired and decides to retire. What are you reading? This isn't real. This oh can't God. be. This is, real. this is not. What? This is not the canonical history of Scrooge yeah. McDuck. I refuse to accept that somebody <laughs> has been paid to create this as the actual backstory of Scrooge McDuck. Pete, that Disney would let it out. Prepare for your mind to be blown. This is not real. This cannot be real. <laughs> the The Life and Times of Scrooge McDuck by Don Rosa. The Finnish composer, Tuomas Olopainen, released a concept album based on the book titled Music Inspired by the Life and Times of Scrooge. All right, okay. Scrooge is my favourite yeah. duck. Well done. Oh, my God. There we have it. The most biographed duck in human history. Wow. I never imagined that we would discover so much out of this podcast. It's finally worthwhile. Don Rosa earned a, an Eisner Award. For this what? what? Oh my God. Why have I never heard of this book? It's got, it, it's 263 pages. <laughs> <laughs> this is incredible. Oh my God. Oh my God. It's, it's on Comixology. Oh my God. I'm adding this to my wish In list. In a two volume series. <laughs> <laughs> two volume series. Oh my gosh. What this is is this duck? Uh, this, but also I'm going down a real rabbit hole now because there's a load of collected editions of these Walt Disney, like apparently like classic comics featuring their yeah. older heroes. Wow! Can I can oh I just say, God. Dr. Kenneth Barnes, thank you for possibly the greatest question we've ever had on the podcast, and quite possibly the greatest gift. I know, but just keeps giving. The recommended retail price of the artist edition is £135. <laughs> of course it is. Oh my God, there's a life and times of Mickey Mouse. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> Hang on. Oh my gosh. Oh my God. Oh my God. The album, the album, the, the first, the, like, th- this is incredible. This is incredible. Um, so like the first song, uh, on the album is called Glasgow, eighteen seventy-seven. It oh. it features the London Philharmonic Orchestra, and including several guest musicians, including Troy Donnelly, the founder of Finnish symphonic metal band Nightwish. <laughs> oh my god! Right, is this on Spotify? Please. It's. I tell you what, it's going to be a Scrooge McDuck day tomorrow. Oh my god! Amazing. This is absolutely incredible. <laughs> Gentlemen, can I ask you each to just quickly say what your favourite cocktail is? Ooh. Uh Long Island iced tea. Classic. It's also your rapper name, isn't it, Sam? Mm. It's almost my what? Y- your rapper name. Sorry, it's just a joke. I'm gonna. You can cut that out of the pod. <laughs> I will thank uh, Sam for mine. Uh, because mine right. is a dark and stormy, which I was introduced to at Sam's wedding. Yes, my 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 Fantastic. years and years long uh, search for a manly cocktail was finally discovered at your wedding. No such thing as a manly cocktail, Dan. Gung it in. Sausage. 
Okay. Now, I think I'm right in saying that we need that unpacking a little bit. <laughs> is that on ice? Is that on the rocks? Is that... It's a cocktail sausage. Oh. Uh, Was I oh, yeah. the only one who got that? Yeah, Dan, you're the only one cool yeah, enough to get that. Yeah. I yeah. just I was just picturing down a martini glass with like a small sausage <laughs> just on the edge. <laughs> like, a, like instead of an olive. <laughs> Uh, mine is a, a toss-up between the Clover Club or the Budapest okay. Barbecue, which is probably the best cocktail I've ever had in my life. And the, the reason I'm asking about cocktails, gents, is I've, I've, I've just started playing After Party, which is a game I've been waiting for for a, quite a while. Oh, I know, God, I keep going yeah. on about it. It's from the guys who did Oxenfree, Night School Studio. And it's even got the same composer, Scientific American, or SCNTFC, whose music I really love. In fact, actually, when I'm at work sometimes doing some admin, I will chill out and listen to the Oxenfree music because it's just really quite mm. cool. And um, I'm going to do the Sam Turner thing, which is where I'm talking about a thing when I've only experienced a tiny bit of it, but I kind of just want to talk oh, about it anyway. So uh, just preface this with just first impressions, really. Uh, okay, because yeah. I because I recently finished Control and mm, that mm. yeah so <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> uh, so this is a video game. Uh, I've got it on my PlayStation Four. It's uh, your classic indie adventure, story driven. <laughs> tick. Uh, the premise for this one is you've got two best pals, Milo and Lola, who for some reason I don't know yet are in hell. And it's not the kind of like Dante-esque version of hell. This is like a Matt Groening Futurama-esque version of hell, which is quite, you know, a deadpan humour and a bit like The Good Place as well to some extent where you've got demons yeah. that are just basically like, um, have like human-esque problems. They just happen to be demons. So you've got like bars and pubs and things and there's a cab driver who's ferrying you around called Sam. And... um Milo and Lola are trying to accustom to the fact that they are not only dead, but in hell. And um, while they're waiting to be processed, they discover that as a loophole, if they can beat Satan in a drinking competition, they can get back to Earth. Okay. And the whole premise of the game is them doing things to get to that stage where they can get past the queue to this never-ending queue to Satan's headquarters and attempt to face him in a drinking contest and what i like as a mechanic to some extent there's a there's a possible ethical quandary here in terms of the messages it's sending but what i quite like is the fact that drinking is used as a mechanic to solve puzzles so imagine this you're in a social situation in a bar and you've got to try and locate a particular person it's like a, a kind of a traitor let's say in the mix and you go to the bar and you order a drink and the drinks are for example bloody stool uh, famous last words, the great Amathian, which is actually, if you want to know the ingredients, is vodka, horse blood, demon radish, and apparently was a favourite of Alexander the Great, or pear of anguish. And each of those drinks has a particular quality. So when you're in conversation, you can take a swig of this drink and suddenly you've got a third dialogue option, which will either be like, depending on the drink you've drunk, super helpful or super not helpful. So for example, I just picked a random drink and didn't realise until I went into this conversation, I realised that just gave me a good knowledge of sport, which gave me no help whatsoever, which led to a hilarious kind of dialogue encounter. So I just went back to the bar and grabbed another drink because there's no currency. You've just got infinite drinks. 
But is it? But is there any negative effect from like yes. drinking a lot of drinks? Yeah. So the screen gets even fuzzier, and like your coordination really is hindered massively, particularly when you're in drinking competitions where you not only take a swig, but you then have to balance the glass. And trying to manoeuvre your controller to per- balance one glass on top of the other, it's, it is trying to capture that essence of being drunk. So you're in this kind of interesting state where you don't want to get too drunk that you cannot physically move around the space. But equally, you need to get a little bit sloshed mm. in order to solve the puzzles so, and get through the game. So kind of like the exact state that you need to be in to be very, very, very good at pool. Yeah, it's Dutch Courage, the board. <laughs> it's, Dutch go- it's Dutch Courage, the video game. I, the, the, the way you're describing it, Chris, it, it almost sounds like they want like a really inventive deck building mm. game. So I'm playing uh, Slay the Spire at the moment, and I've also just spent uh, a bit of money on the on with Super Rare Games because they're publishing uh, Steamworld Quest: Hand of Gilgamesh, mm. um, which was uh, Image and Form's latest release, which also was a RPG deck building uh, game. And like when you're describing it, like preparing your strategy before going into a conversation and having to sort of analyze something and think, right, if I get, if I use this thing, that's going to buff that thing, which might debuff this, but then give me advantage later on. Like it sounds like you're doing a lot of the same sort of things that like I'm doing in slay the spire or something, or like in any sort of deck building game, you're thinking about, what is giving me the advantage in this situation and what might the debuffs be um, later on down the line or the buffs or whatever? Yeah, I mean, and and at the moment, maybe it's because I'm being eased into it and it's going to ramp up the difficulty later on, but it is a bit light touch in terms of the ramifications of that. It is very much story-led. And it's also yeah. it's also quite a funny game. Like, you know, there's there's a social network in hell called Bicker, <laughs> which everyone communicates with each other <laughs> on. So you'll get, you'll see random tweets uh, popping up above people's heads and it'll be like com- humans complaining about how badly they're being punished and then demons trying to sell stuff to each other. And like, at the moment, I'm in this situation where I'm trying to find a ticket to get into Satan's place and I'm just literally trying to score a ticket. So it's like Craigslist. You're kind of just kind of looking online to see what you can kind of buy and things on this bicker thing. And it's it's very funny, Uh very kind of deadpan humour. Like there's a sequence where the taxi driver Sam has taken me to this island and there are humans just hanging in nooses from lampposts and they're just talking freely in that kind of deadpan Futurama-esque way. And one of them tells a really awful joke and Sam's like, oh, come back to me when you've got better material. And it's like, how? As you're walking off, I'm just stuck here. (laughs) Where am I going to get better material from? And um, the main thing I will say though is that it looks quite exciting and dynamic in the trailers. Um, it's a really slow-paced game. I mean, but Oxen, Oxen Free was a really slow-paced yeah, game. Yeah, but you've got this large breathing landscape that you can kind of take in the visuals off. Like the visuals are striking here, but it's a compressed space. You're walking through crowds of people. You're in tight rooms like bars and pubs. It doesn't. The camera doesn't zoom out. Well, at the moment it hasn't, like it does in Oxen Free, and you feel you're part of this larger breathing landscape, mm. and you actually enjoy that fact of it taking its time. Mm. This moving between people and having conversations just drags a bit i think that thing about um like actually getting used to a it's almost like a design team 
that you really like and you really like their work i know how much you like oxen free like getting used to them doing something yeah. different and i mentioned image and form um earlier and they're a design company who like that is their like metier that is their calling card like it started off with Steamwheel Dig, which is like this procedurally generated, um, like digging excavation game, and then they did Steamwheel Heist, which is like this turn-based uh, XCOM-style um, game, and then they've done Hand of Gilgamesh, which is like this deck-building um, RPG. And it's like every time they've got this one universe which they center it around, a bit like the same that Oxenfree and After Party share a artistic style, and they share a bit of a um, what's the word like common like visual grammar yeah mise-en-scene yeah which is what image and form do the same while well, they have well they actually have like a whole world like the steam world is their like creation which all this exists in but every single game is right right we've always wanted to make this kind of game but how how can we do that in our world and that really intrigues me about after party is that they've not just made another interesting adventure game set with a mystery of teenagers they've gone right we've got a really interesting world here really interesting Mm. dialogue um mechanic a really interesting um like visual storytelling style what can we do that's that's different and i think that even though you might it sounds like you're bouncing off little pieces bits and pieces on it i still really value a, a designer that like like makes that leap because I know I know that when they announce their next thing, even if you're not completely enamored by After Party, I guarantee that you'll be jumping straight on the next thing that they make. Yeah, definitely. I've been playing um, unintentionally uh, a couple of spin-off games, which are not really played. Uh, hang on, have I? Um, I've played like Rivals of Catan. Oh, I love Rivals. The two-player version, um, I guess, uh, Pandemic Legacy. Imhotep the Jewel. Yes, I guess that's a bit of a spin-off. And these are pretty similar, actually, because one of them's um, one of them was King Domino Jewel, which is a two-player roll-and-write version of um, King Domino, which is on our list of good breakfast games. Mm-hmm. Um, someone put on Twitter today, um, isn't bowling the original roll and write game? Uh, it's good, isn't it? Very good. It's good. I'm it is, that. but they're right. I mean, they are right. They are. I don't like that they're right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, have, have you guys played King Domino before? I think so. You bought it for me as a gift. That's 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 not a yes. <laughs> Were you not there when we played it? Well, we played it for the first time in Chance Encounters in Bristol. Yeah. So I'm assuming that you were there. And after that, you then bought it for me. Yeah, because we thought Chris would really love this game. Oh yeah. And then we bought it for Chris as oh, a present. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, yes, I wasn't. I, I wasn't there. I was. I was away. Dan wasn't there. Um, King Domino is a very simple game. Like the clues in the title basically you have these like domino pieces and you draft them from a pile and the idea of the game is to match up as many of similar types of pieces of the tiles like water or land or rock or 
quarries and stuff. And the more pieces you're able to get that all match, the more points you get at the end of the game. And King Domino Jewel works in the same way, but instead of drawing pieces from a box, you and uh, the person you're playing against uh, throw dice. And it's got this wonderful little um, mechanic where whoever's going first on that turn will throw all the dice, but they only get to pick one. Then the next player gets to pick two, leaving one dice for the first for the first player. And using those two dice, on which have, um, like, are they like coats of arms, Chris, yeah, or shields? Yeah, like, it's that kind of heraldry, isn't it? Yeah, they are basically shields or crests. So using those two dice, you can then configure them to essentially make your domino for that role. Yeah. And then on this little sheet of paper, you basically fill in... Um, what shield you want to go where following the usual rules of dominoes. So like a shield with a dot on it has got to go next to another shield with a dot on it, that kind of thing. And that's, I mean, that's basically the game. You you have to really think strategically about whose turn it is, what dice you're going to pick, how you're going to then put those dice into your kingdom, essentially, in order to accrue the points to win the game. And getting points is is pretty simple. There are some dice that have got an X or two Xs in the corner. If you get them into your kingdom, for the amount of um, shields or coat of arms that you have in an area depending on how many X's that you are, that number will be multiplied by the amount of X's. Yeah, it's like the shields in Carcassonne, isn't it, that you get on the pieces there? Yeah, exactly. To some extent, yeah. So there's a lot of focus on the game of of trying to get um, these shields with the X's on because those are order always the way that you're going to rack up the points. But if you don't get one, you instead... We'll put the dice in like normal onto your little sheet. But then you also get to scratch off um, a bit of this wizarding sheet. So each shield has a power that's associated to it. And if you're able to basically tick off all the boxes associated with that power, you'll get to use it on a future round. Right, okay. So it's really like shot up in terms of like two-player games that... um, I'm introducing to people and that me and my wife are playing because it's so incredibly intuitive and easy and very, very snappy. And the wizarding powers just gives it enough of that, um, gives it enough of that feeling that when you finish playing, you just start to really percolate on how you may have done things differently or how you may have like acted um a bit differently in the game like how did you feel like playing it, chris because I'm, I'm gonna say straight away this is my favorite role and right really yeah wow. I know. i'm just thinking about this the other day and it is and i think it's because it's a spatial puzzle like i love ganshon clever but i think to some extent i like playing that on my phone i find it a little bit too abstract when i'm playing it like mm. on a table whereas this is very much in keeping with like king domino and queen domino that comes before but knowing but having i think it's just having the dice there that they can be pulled apart and separated if you unlock particular powers gives it that little bit of flexibility for me and and there's just enough restrictiveness there to keep it a challenge and also the prospect of me being able to inadvertently unlock powers as i'm going incidentally sometimes 
just gives it that variety that I really, really like. Because I'm not very good, and it's the same with things like um, Battle Line or Shot and Totten, where I feel I can see already that I've painted myself into a corner yeah. and there's no way out of mm-hmm. this. And I like the fact that there is that degree of flexibility here, that it's not all over for me. And then I literally, when we were playing, you couldn't really tell who was going to win or not. No. And I, I like it also because I think, I was thinking, well, if I own, I own King Domino, you very kindly bought it for me. Would I own this if I own King Domino? And I was thinking, well, if like I was a big fan of King Domino and Queen Domino and I was going traveling, this is just, what, a bag of dice and yeah. a pad of paper. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like a really nice portable version of that game. And it's really nice and little crunchy kind of thinking, but it's on your own little, it's on your own little map in front of you. I love it. I, I really like it as a, as a kind of spatial puzzle in that regard. And yeah, I think this is my favourite role and write. That, that's quite, I actually genuinely didn't expect you to say that. But it, it, but the other thing I, the other thing that surprised me about it was that I prefer it to King Domino. Um, yeah, hands down. I agree. It kind of feeds into the other game that I've been playing, which also is a spin-off of an original title. And also every single person I've introduced this game to prefers it head and shoulders above the original and that's sushi roll and that's something i never thought i would say about sushi go yeah i'm i'm really interested in this because i'm a big fan of sushi go but from what i've seen of sushi roll there's a lot i like the look of yeah i think dan i might well i think my wife would kill me if i did but i'd i'd love to to send you this or probably get it you for christmas or whatever because i i genuinely think that you and your family would get a lot from it and um ev- genuinely every single person after playing this has gone i prefer that better than sushi go and sushi go has always been whenever i'm traveling whenever i'm going anywhere open the drawer sushi yeah, go in yeah, the bag yeah. 100%. Off, off we go like always been there so do I need to describe Sushi Go? Are we there yet? It's a card drafting game where you're passing around cards. Imagine like a sushi conveyor belt. You take a card, you pass it on, you take a card, pass it on. Depending on different uh, sort of sets that you collect of different types of sushi will depend on how many points you get at the end of the, end of the game. Sushi Roll works pretty much the same, but instead of cards, you're rolling dice. So at the start of your turn, you'll have six dice, which you roll. You then pick one, your neighbour picks one, goes around the table. And then one thing I love about Sushi Roll is is that it's a lot more visually stimulating than than Sushi Go. This is the bit that I love. I, th- I know what you're going to say. It's that like you have your dice sit on these little conveyor belts. Right. So when you've picked your dice, you push the conveyor belt round to the player on your left. It's just, I, 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 I've seen that and I just thought it's such a silly little addition. However, it's just works so beautifully in that the world of what the game is that I just like, yeah, that's that's amazing. And obviously that's something that couldn't be done before with the cards just because you physically wouldn't be able to no. put all the cards down like that. It just wouldn't work no. if it wasn't like this. But yeah, it looks so, so interesting. But also what's quite clever is one of those conveyor belts is the first player marker, isn't it, yeah. as well? So that moves is really smart. with every turn. And then when you get your new dice, you roll them and then the process starts anew. And I think that bit about it being visually stimulating is really cool because there's a lot to Sushi Go's design that I've always loved. 
but a lot of it always remains hidden. But here, everyone gets to enjoy like all the little like um, graphics on the dice, and you have these little menu boards in front of you which tell you what's on each side of each of the dice. So you can always see like this like these like splashes of color around the table rather than everyone holding up the same like bank of cards right. in front of them. Um, it <laughs> the other thing it does which I think is one of the reasons why a lot of people I play with prefer it to Sushi Go is that it gets rid of that really awkward chopsticks rule, which oh. it's one thing whenever I've played like Sushi Go with anyone, it's like, this works like this, this works like this. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but then there's chopsticks, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I don't think you're going to understand and how these chopsticks get, work. Get a notepad and pen yeah. out because... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because there are these chopsticks. So... um but in Sushi Roll, chopsticks is you get to swap a dice that someone else has rolled with a dice that's on your thing. So already, visually, that makes a lot more sense. So you're literally like picking up a pair of chopsticks, picking up something on else's food and putting it on your on your, um, on your your conveyor mm. belt. And that brings me to, I think, what I, what I love most about this game over Sushi Go is the fact that unlike Sushi Go where you feel like you should be remembering kind of what's going around the table. You should be kind of holding in your head that, all right, there's a couple of prawns going around, so I'll take a prawn now with the hope that maybe I'll complete that set later on. With Sushi Roll, all of that information is on the table at all times. You can see that there's um, Mackies on the table. You can see that there's Wasabi Dice. You can see that there's the dice that you're going to need floating around the table to get the sets that you want. So when you're swapping a dice from one player to another, it becomes a lot more of a tactical thing of, right, I'm am I swapping this to get some benefit or can I swap something to stop them getting some sort of benefit from the table? Or if you're really crafty, because you know the conveyor belt's going to move around, can I swap something that benefits me off the player of my left knowing that it's going to stop them passing something on to the next player that they need to complete their selection. And that wonderful, uh, like, overt strategy of literally, like, looking around the table and going, oh, there's a lovely bit of sashimi over there. Yeah, yeah, I could do that. It's like you're at a restaurant seeing what other people have ordered. Yeah, and, and still, the other thing is, you can get the dice that you want, but if you don't roll what you want, then <laughs> it doesn't matter. So... That's the other thing that I love, that you can spend ages being tactical and strategic, something which I don't feel like Sushi Go really allows you to do. And then, but if you don't roll the dice, that person who you just annoyed because you took the thing, it's just like, yes, it serves you right. And it becomes much more of a group experience. You can slowly see these pictures, these little tableaus, like coming up around, around the room. And it just makes it like it feels like it's a game it was always meant to be in a way. Honestly, if you are a Sushi Go fan, this is like, yeah, it is. It's better. It strikes me as kind of like a situation where often you'll have kind of um, big games then offer a travel edition um, that you can take. Yeah. Whereas it's kind of yeah. going the opposite direction. So you've got Sushi Go, which is this kind of great thing in a small tin that you can take with you and like i mean i've i introduced it to kind of niece and nephews who are like six and seven um 
and they don't play a lot to games stuff like that. But it was it's really easy to introduce, and they can they loved it. Then yeah. then they wanted their own version, so they bought it as well. Similar thing with um, Rhino Hero. So going from Rhino Hero to Rhino Hero Super Battle, and I I loved Rhino oh, Hero. Yeah. And then when I I bought Rhino Hero Super Battle, and it's fantastic, but it it takes yeah. it from being a travel game into a, a game you play at home with a group of friends kind of thing. Not that you wouldn't play the original at home, but it becomes something designated to this is what we do at home. We can't mm. take this and play in a... I mean, I don't know if you play Rhino here in a cafe or something like that. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm talking about a Costa, not a board game cafe. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's but it's strange that you say that because they kind of already did it with Sushi Go Party. Sushi Go Party! Oh, I never played that. So Sushi Go Party was... Um, came in a massive like tin so imagine the sushi go tin but about four or five times the size and like your average biscuit tin yeah and and basically what sushi go party allows you to do is change the rules basically for every time you play it so you can essentially you're not always collecting the same amount of stuff you're not always doing the same things and it gives you a little like scoreboard tracker going around it's very much like as you're saying that like let's sit down and play sushi go at home but like let's add a few more things like i i was always like oh i really wish i'd never bought sushi go because i'd love to have sushi party like sushi roll makes me think like i'm really glad i never bought sushi party because like this is Mm. that game i want to play now there's spin-off games right which i've not really hmm, i guess uh, like um, you got pandemic and pandemic legacy. Yeah, yeah, and pa- pandemic Cthulhu as well. Yeah, and um, uh, settlers of Catan. Yes, hang oh, on, everyone. Sorry. Hang on. Can you just say? Can you hang on? Hang on, hang on. Hang on. Breaking news. Can you, can you just say that again? Yes, you can eat the rest of those fingers. <laughs> yes, there we are. Confirmation. Oh, so happy. I like that she rang him. Yeah, yeah, I know. She knew that he would be <laughs> yeah. sat there at home, going, "I wonder, I wonder if I can have those fingers." That's it. We've made it to the end of another edition of the Staying In podcast. This one featured myself, Sam Turner, Peter Willington, Chris Darby, and Daniel Frost. Many thanks to everyone at Coiled Spring Games for helping support the show by sending us copies of the fantastic King Domino Jewel and the highly, highly recommended Sushi Roll. If you're a fan of the original Sushi Go and you can pick up a copy and you see one, then we very much recommend that you do. If you've got a burning question that you'd like to ask us, then please get in touch. Find us on Twitter at StayingInPod, Instagram StayingInPod, and also stayinginpod at gmail.com if you'd rather send us an email. All the details, in case I got any of those wrong or you're just not listening, stayinginpodcast.com. But for now, until the next time, until the next episode, that's it from us for now. Until the next time. Now, it is. Bye.